After three weeks away from the track, Formula One returns to Singapore for the first time since 2019. Max Verstappen could possibly lock up his second straight world championship. Three teams still have open seats in 2023. We'll discuss who will likely fill them. Plus, a 24-race calendar with six sprint races are scheduled for 2023. All this and more on Unlapped. That's not the most ringing endorsement I've ever heard of something. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't completely awful. I didn't hate it. Do you want to sit through twenty-four of these races? That is too much of a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. And it is wild, isn't it, that Ricardo's name is there, and yet we've just done a little segment on the driver market, and really we're like, well, it's probably not. Ricardo's probably not going to be a factor. I don't necessarily feel like this is a perfect solution here with twenty-four and six, but I do appreciate the fact that F1 listens and says, okay, we'll try to make this a little bit more entertaining or interesting, and if it doesn't work, we'll move on. Welcome to Unlapped, an ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George, he's Lawrence Edmondson, and that's Nate Saunders. Welcome back, guys. I think full disclosure to those listening, there's a couple of pawns in between all of us at this point, not just one pond. Nate, you're in the UK, correct? That's right, yep. Okay, at home, hanging out, good for you. Lawrence, <laughs> you are in Singapore getting ready for the Grand Prix this weekend, correct? I am, yeah. And it's uh, it's not just so much where I am, but what time it is, because it's 3.15 a.m., and uh, it feels quite strange to be doing a podcast at that time. Uh, I'm looking at my hotel window and it's pretty much dead outside. But yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. And I'm going to be on this time zone for pretty much the whole weekend. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit different. Here. Why are you still awake at 3.15 a.m.? Oh, I appreciate obviously seeing your face and you adding your insights always to this podcast with Nate and I. But why are you up and awake? Pure dedication to the podcast. No, no reason. Uh, <laughs> he no, just loves it. He just not, loves it so much. Loves it so much. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's uh, it's an unusual race. Uh, as I'm sure everyone who's seen it on TV, you'll know it's a night race, and uh, mm-hmm. it starts at 8 p.m. in Singapore. Uh, so it basically means you can stay on a European schedule, a European time zone, and just transfer that over to Singapore. Now that's a bit weird because it means my alarm clock tomorrow morning will be set for about 1 p.m. 1.30 p.m. and then I'll go for breakfast while everybody else is having lunch and then I'll go to the track around four o'clock and that's when my working day will start at 4 p.m. and then it will continue through to probably about 3 a.m. and then the real challenge begins around 3 a.m. when you leave the track and you're looking for places to go and eat because uh, Singapore, as much as it is a kind of city that never sleeps, um, certain parts do and places <laughs> close and so you've got to go on the search for food uh for a tiger beer or something like that and that can become quite a challenge but i've been doing it for a few years now so i know a few places we can go to and um yeah there's uh, it's, it's interesting because you'll go to these food courts uh, these kind of hawker markets amazing food but you'll also see so many people from the f1 paddock in that place so there's a place i know that the mercedes engineers go to because it does one of the best curries you can get at 3 a.m or 4 a.m in singapore uh, in the middle of the night and so um they're always there and they say that they have a lucky curry if they get a curry in at some <laughs> point over the weekend it means they'll have a good weekend so uh yeah they, they try hard to find that curry uh, around here and um and make it work for them so it's a, it's a cool place. It's completely different to any other races we do. Even some of the other night races don't feel quite as extreme as this in terms of the offset. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's fun. And um, then on to Japan after that. And that's when the jet lag really hits in because I have to get on Asian time then. Oh, yeah, I, I can't imagine. And we'll dive into this, obviously, when we break down the Singapore Grand Prix. But I'm just curious, does all everyone, the, the drivers, as you mentioned, uh, the team members, do they all acclimate kind of the way that you're acclimating yourself? 
Yeah, that's right. And um, it gets very complex. So for someone like me, I'm kind of one of those people that I just take sleep when I can get it. But the drivers and the teams will have these plans set out for them uh, by the doctors and the kind of physios and stuff they work for. Uh, And they've thought about everything down to if you're outside uh, and it's sunlight, you need to be wearing sunglasses at certain times of the day just so that you don't take on too much sunlight. But then the other way around, if uh, if you're uh, in your hotel room at night you want to have all the lights you can possibly have on and there's no trick there's no way to get around the fact that it's an unusual race and that you're not getting as much sunlight as you should and the rest of it but there are little uh, tricks to do it right down to i've heard that some teams will decide which side of the plane their um their staff will go on because that will make a difference depending on which side the sun is coming through the windows uh, because you get those inconsiderate people that leave the blinds open when you're trying (laughs) to sleep and stuff like that so they'll have everything planned out down to when they eat when they exercise all this kind of stuff just to try and keep them in the right kind of frame of mind uh keep keep their minds working as sharply as they do at normal races because it is unusual to be doing a night shift at a grand prix so fascinating. Okay. I- I've got more questions, but remember if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, say hello in the comments to us. And don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. If you're listening as well, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. All right. Quick bit of news before we really get into the nitty gritty. Wednesday marks the 10 year anniversary of Lewis Hamilton, Sir Lewis Hamilton, moving to Mercedes. Everyone doubted that move then. In your all's eyes, was it the best move we've seen in F1 history at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty difficult. I was trying to think of a better one in in recent memory, and there just isn't one. You know, there's definitely a lot of examples of of the opposite, you know, really bad career moves that have gone really badly. So rare that someone makes a move that is so perfect and just, you know, has has worked in that way. And you're absolutely right about 2012. I mean, I can remember that. And Lawrence was working in Formula One at the time. I wasn't, but the the perception outside of Formula One certainly was that Lewis had made a a huge error. You know, everyone was saying, what's he doing? Mercedes had kind of taken over the Braun team. They hadn't won, uh, they hadn't won a race. You know, there was a, I think, no, sorry, they had won a race in 2012, but they weren't, seen as you know a championship contender that wasn't seen like they were going to be the next big thing and lewis was just sure about it he said no i'm going to go and he he was mr mclaren then so it just seemed it seemed wrong at the time and i remember everyone saying you know a lot of a lot of very kind of smart pundits were saying this is going to ruin lewis's career and you look at some of those takes now and you think wow they're like sometimes takes age slightly badly but those takes all aged as badly as, as they can and you know obviously it's 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 turned into it's made him the most successful driver in f1 history so pretty remarkable to think what would have happened had someone else made that move no doubt. you know if, if lewis had turned it down it's always a great what if but but yeah amazing move and i think he deserves a lot of credit for it it's why when people say it you know <clears throat> it's all the car you say well he had the foresight to see where the project was going you know he was very impressed with the way they'd appro- approach the v6 turbo engine project so um yeah i think i think whichever way you look at it you know he deserves some credit and i think as well you also need to be a bit lucky in formula one you know you need to back yourself make that decision i don't think he could have even dreamed it was as good as it turned out to be so so yeah 10 out of 10 for lewis's move i'd give it it's hard to give it anything else <laughs> lawrence <laughs> do you remember it... where you were and what you were doing when that news well... broke I would have been covering the, uh, I can't remember exactly where it was. I mean, if the news broke around the Singapore Grand Prix, I think that was roughly when the deal was done. I don't know if that's when the news broke. But um, yeah, I would have been working uh, from the office because I didn't travel back then in 2012 uh, quite so much anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I can't remember exactly. But I remember it being a big thing. As Nate said, all these people saying it's the wrong move. You know, he should never move there. McLaren is a place to be. Of course, McLaren had won races that year, you know, 
come close to challenging for the championship but not quite made it. And so it did seem like a big deal. But I think the other thing uh, for Lewis was that McLaren was the team that he'd grown up at. And it was almost like mm. moving out of his parents' house. You know, it's moving away and creating... Uh, you know, we're so used to Lewis now being outspoken and talking about whatever's at the front of his mind. Back then, it didn't happen. You know, it seemed like he was much more controlled by the PR machine at McLaren. And uh, as soon as he went to Mercedes, they gave him that freedom. And it was almost like a coming of age thing, uh, which is strange because he was relatively old at the time. But it really did make a big difference in the way he talked about uh, not just the sport, but everything around it. And then to get to the position that we know him now as a seven-time world champion who speaks so eloquently on so many subjects. But a big part of that was going to Mercedes. And rather than being the kind of kid who had been brought up within the team at McLaren, he was the man that Mercedes was then building the team around. And that was uh, such an important part of his career. And I think so crucial as well to the success that came after because, uh, you know, Lewis was very central to directing the team in the right way for certain things. Of course, the immense work they did on the engine, which is essentially what gave them the head start in 2014, that had already happened pre-Lewis, where it was already being worked on pre-Lewis arriving at Mercedes. But uh, all of the rest of it and continuing that success through the years, you know, that was part of that teamwork that he's had with Mercedes. And remarkably, 10 years on, still exists and is still very strong to this day. Uh, I talked to him in Zandvoort and he said that um, even though they've gone through this backward step this year, obviously they're not as competitive as they were, uh, that's actually motivated him to stay longer in Formula 1. And uh, mm -hmm. from everything I've heard him say, there's no doubt that that will be anywhere other than Mercedes. So, yeah, a remarkable decision all those all those years ago and one that um, I think he still thinks can yield more championships in the coming years. It's fascinating to consider the butterfly effect. And Nate, to your point, Mercedes likely would have found some kind of success in the future. But obviously, the marriage between the two, I think, have, have led to the dominance that we've seen over the last however many years. But the butterfly effect of had he not gone, what would have happened uh, as compared to what we've seen in the domino effect since? Um, I think it's just so fascinating to consider. And, and while we were away, uh, we had some questions about certain drivers and their contracts, as well as certain teams and what they were going to do with their seats uh, moving forward. We've we've got some answers, not all answers, but we know that Joe Grenu has signed with Alfa Romeo uh, for 2023 and Yuki signed with Alfa Tari for 2023 as well. What did you guys make uh, of those notes and did you find them surprising at all? No, not necessarily surprising. I think um, certainly Joe was expected uh, mm -hmm. for a while. Yuki, there was a bit of doubt over there. Franz Tosk gave some kind of weird press conferences <laughs> a, a couple of races where he said, you know, is, he was asked, is Yuki Sonoda staying? And he was like, if Red Bull decides he stays, he stays, but it's not up to us. You know, well, it never really it never really screamed, we're super confident in Yuki. But um, I'm glad both of them have got a, an extra an extra deal. You know, I think um, Joe's been pretty impressive at points in his rookie season. There's been some points when maybe the results haven't been there, but points on his debut, points at the most recent race. Uh, I think there's he's shown enough to deserve another season and maybe get a more competitive car. Yuki, I think there's a bit of a question mark around maybe mentally with him, you know, how just just how he approaches racing. He's but this year he's been really, really good, I think. He's, you know, he's he's stepped up a bit. The interesting thing will be if he's team leader at Alpha Tauri next year, if Gasly moves on. Um, but I like both those guys, so really happy they've stayed. And it's it's not a case of, you know, two drivers staying on purely for the money. I think both, you know, performance wise from Joe performance-wise from Sonoda, there's been enough there to justify those moves. So, um, so yeah. And I think I'm pretty sure it's a one-year deal for both of them. So mm -hmm. they're basically on another prove-it deal, you know, to stay in. So, you know, a bit of pressure, but I think that that's what Formula 1 is all about, isn't it? 
So we'll essentially have the same conversation uh, next year regarding uh, their seats as well. You mentioned (laughs) Pierre Gasly and his future. You know, Nick DeVries was also rumored to possibly sign with Alvatari Lawrence and be the second driver, his teammate, obviously, Yuki. Where are we with that rumor? Where are we with Pierre Gasly at this point? Well, the remarkable thing now is that Nick DeVries, who (laughs) at the start of the year looked like his F1 career was just never going to get off the ground. You know, he'd won F2, he was a champion in Formula E, but it just seemed like he was never going to get that break in Formula 1. Now he's the key to the driver market. We talk about these various drivers being keys to the driver market at different times. And it seems like Williams is very keen to offer him a deal. Of course, he uh, subbed him for Alex Albon at the last race mm-hmm. in Monza, did remarkably well, scored those two points. So Williams is keen to get him on a contract. Uh, but it seems like Alpha Tauri is interested as well. And of course, we know from when Alpha Tauri was chasing after Colton Herter, who didn't get the super license points, the American IndyCar driver, you know, in the end, just hadn't done enough on his resume to to get the super license. Now, we've had a podcast where we've already talked about the rights and wrongs of that, but that's the reality mm-hmm. of it. That's the way it is. And so um, when Alpha Tauri started looking at that, they were thinking, well, we can send Pierre Gasly to Alpine. Uh, that solves Alpine's problem of losing Fernando Alonso at the end of this year, not having Oscar Piastri to replace him. Uh, and uh, and so they're still keen and still, you know, could see it a possibility where Gasly makes that move. And then they could bring in Nick De Vries in that role, which would be fascinating because De Vries would have gone, like I said, from this driver who didn't look like he had much of an F1 future, was a Mercedes reserve driver, had close links with Mercedes, was driving for Mercedes in Formula E. And then he's actually going to go all the way around to the other side mm-hmm. uh, to Red Bull potentially and join their junior team. It's far from a done deal, but um, you know, it, it's certainly something that people are, are talking about. And uh, it's going to be a fascinating one to see how it emerges over time you know, it, it kind of makes sense if enough things can fall into place but um yeah it will be interesting to see what the latest rumor is as of tomorrow when i get into the paddock and uh it's it's amazing how quickly all these stories have changed this year with the drive market and you know nico holkenberg all of a sudden coming back into the fold at monza as well as a name being talked about there's um yeah a lot to sort itself out over the next few races i think yeah i think uh, i mean devries you, you say the start of the season didn't even seem likely but i mean even three weeks ago it didn't really seem like there was uh, unless you know maybe Williams but until he had that chance to drive there really it didn't seem it seemed like Williams maybe was leaning towards Sargent a bit more um and it shows you doesn't it that sometimes being in the right place at the right time can be huge you know if if DeVries hadn't been there as reserve driver you know it could have been somebody else it could I I, I believe Van Dorn has has been at races for Mercedes before in the same capacity um so it just shows you you know and and DeVries was a guy that when he left Formula One uh, sorry, or, or left Formula Two, and he left the kind of Formula One paddock. People said, "Oh, that's a shame." You know, he could have, you know, he could have got in. He he was probably good enough to. And it seemed like he'd just be another guy that kind of just disappeared into the into the mist around Formula One. So it's good to see him get a shot. And if he goes to Alpha Tauri, can you imagine an all Dutch Red Bull team in a couple of years? Because he's very good friends with Max Verstappen, and I think Max really likes the fact that he's come back and he's raced. You could see Max, you know, once once they're kind of done with Perez, being like, "Well, look, you know, we can get this guy up. I know what he's about." probably thinks he can beat him but you know he's got a, got a mate with him at the team he'd suddenly have you know two dutch drivers at the at the car at the front of the grid which for, for the netherlands they had so long without a, a dutch driver now they've got a world champion and they've got another one who potentially is joining the same program so pretty wild i don't know if they'll be able to handle it quite frankly well i, I don't know how, how those races can get more orange or more dutch sure. but some somehow they might have to i don't know different shades of orange for different drivers that's how we'll be able to tell <laughs> yeah, the maybe. difference um also we now know what's going to take place in 2023 which is exciting f1 confirmed that we've got 24 races on the calendar and they also confirmed that we'll see six sprint races uh i've seen 
Some people applaud that decision. I've seen some people absolutely dog that decision to have <laughs> six sprint races uh, on the calendar. Where did the two of you fall based on the announcement of where you're going to be all next season? Well, I think if you've got 24 races, having six as sprint races, I think personally is okay because I look at some of the Friday practice sessions we have, especially when we get to this stage of the season and it's all been wrapped up or it's kind of obvious which way it's going to go. And doing two practice sessions on a Friday, another one on Saturday morning, and then you get to qualifying, it seems like it takes a long time for the weekend to get going. Now, of course, under the sprint format, you have a normal qualifying session on Friday evening, kind of Friday afternoon, Friday evening. Then you have the sprint race on Saturday. And I think it just, you know, there is just more going on in, in a race weekend. Is it the best possible way to spend those sessions? You know, is there a better way to make it more exciting? Possibly. Do I think sprint races in and of themselves, just shortening a Grand Prix distance using the same tyres is the best way to have exciting wheel-to-wheel racing? No, it's not. I think there's better ways you can do it. I think you could tailor the tyres to working for a sprint race, things like that. But, you know, F1 is, uh, it, you know, it is, it's not been afraid to make changes to test things out. And I don't remember any of the sprint races uh, since they've come in uh, really being totally awful over the whole weekend there's always been something in that weekend that's exciting whereas three practice sessions you know i mean i i like doing the analysis i like going into the <laughs> data i like talking to drivers and team members about what the tires are doing but even for me you know it's it's a lot of it's a lot of just going around in circles without any competitive element and i think that's what's important with sprint races so i think six of 24 is the right number more than that maybe not but uh six of 24 is is the right amount i think just gonna say i don't know if the bar should be totally awful like it's not totally awful. <laughs> yeah i was gonna i was gonna say it. that's not that's not the most ringing endorsement i've ever heard of something it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't completely awful i didn't hate it um i think i'm a bit split but, on but, uh, just, just, just to go on this uh some people out there online will lead you to believe they were totally <laughs> awful so that's what yeah. I it's, like, yeah. it's not as bad as a lot of people make out you know that there, there, there were elements in all of those weekends which were exciting Sorry, yeah. No, 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 absolutely. And I think what I'm I'm quite split on it because I think I, I like the fact, like Lawrence said, that you know, changing things up in such a long season I think is key. I like the fact you add a bit more jeopardy to a weekend. You know, if you 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 know you go for an overtake during a sprint race, you might completely make a mistake of that and you f suddenly find out I've actually dropped places down the you know, down the order from where I qualified. Um I just think I mean, and the one that sticks out is Lewis in, in Brazil is that fight through the field uh in 2021 but i don't think you, you get that that often that that happened because he had engine penalties and he started at the back usually what we've seen is sprint races kind of just kind of settle down into their own you know into everyone's in their positions within within a handful of laps sometimes you get a bit of a fight maybe if someone's done something different with tires but i don't know i think the format needs to change and the frustrating thing for me is that the reason sprint races came in is because teams like mercedes blocked the re reverse grid idea that was being floated around as well and i think when you have a season as long as 24 races, I think there should be different formats. You know, maybe okay. six seems like it could be too much of a good thing. You know, you like I liked three because it's like, oh, it's a sprint race this weekend. You worry when you get six of them, does it become, oh, it's another sprint race. I think maybe people already do that with when there's three of them. So if you double it suddenly. But if you had a race where, you know, I don't know, let's say, I mean, everyone talks about Monaco, don't they? But I've always thought like Monaco, you should give points out for qualifying and then have the race as well. You know, really play up the fact that Monaco's qualifying session is probably the hardest qualifying session of the year. And then you go into it and it has even more meaning on that Saturday. It's like, wow, if someone does mess up on in, in practice and they destroy their car, then they've potentially cost themselves points as well. So 
I think F1 shouldn't just narrow itself to being like, okay, it's sprint races or it's the normal format. You know, they should try and try different things out. Obviously, there's a risk then you dilute the product, but qualifying should always be key uh, and the race should be. So I don't know, you know, if you qualify, then you have a reverse reverse grid sprint race based on championship order on Saturday, but then the Grand Prix itself on Sunday is still set by qualifying. I'd quite like that because you'd get something fun in the weekend, something that was meaningful for the championship. Uh, You wouldn't have ruined the, a lot of purists say, oh, you ruin the qualifying, you know, the guy who gets polling qualifying doesn't necessarily start from first position there was all that kind of back and forth of like well if you get who gets pole position now in the record books is it the guy that (laughs) that gets the fastest qualifying time or is it the guy who wins the sprint race overall i'm i'm happy to you know see how it plays out but i'm just worried that we'll just get and and f1 seemed determined every time we have a sprint race to tell everyone how great it was so like oh the, the the metrics we've got were that this was the best thing that's ever happened and and I'm just like, if if it was great, you wouldn't need to constantly be telling us how great something was. You know, it would be naturally people would be like, this is was really fun. And I think it's fair to say the sprint race has been pretty divisive. You know, it's split people. Mm-hmm. Like Lawrence said, it's it's very like Marmite, you know, as we say in the UK. People love it, but they absolutely hate it. I don't think there's really much middle ground there. So I don't know. I think Formula 1 has to be a bit more honest about the type of race and the fact that maybe it does need a bit of changing. But uh, ultimately, yeah, if we'd had 24... Uh, I can't even do the maths quickly, but 24 times three practice sessions, uh, you know, when even Lawrence is saying he gets bored of them, you know, you know, you know, the format had to change. So um, I agree with that. But um, yeah, I'm kind of I, I don't I can't get excited about six sprint races. Um, so sorry to anyone listening who's super pumped for that. But I mean, yeah, it's a difficult one because I feel like. I feel like by saying you can I'm not see excited, he's even struggling right now. Yeah, I, to because I totally, I can totally like I, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to be like Formula One needs to freshen things up and it needs to keep things fresh because of how big the calendar is. So I feel like I'm arguing against my own position on other things, but I don't know. There's just something deep in like inside me that just thinks it's maybe not as great as F1's made it out to be. But hey, happy to be proven wrong. If there's six great sprint races next year, then then it's worked, you know, if it, if it makes the racing a lot better. So we'll see how it plays out next year. It'll be interesting to see which venues they pick as well, because that's been a big debate. And I think that's key as well. If Formula 1 can do the right research and say a sprint race here would make the, the rest of the weekend better, then maybe maybe that is, you know, vindication for the decision. I think one of the other things is 24 races in a year. That is a huge amount. And this is a problem is that when you've got a yeah. championship like this one, where it can, um, you know, it can be decided so early, then really, you know, do you want to sit through 24 of these races? That is too much of a good thing as far as I'm concerned. So, um, yeah, when I look at the calendar, it's not the proportion of sprints. It's the length of the calendar as a whole. And some of the races on there perhaps not being the most exciting places to go racing. Well, it's 30 30 races technically if you add the sprints in as well. So that's where, you know, if you add the two together, suddenly you're asking people to, to watch 30 race events of some sort. So it suddenly becomes a very big number. What's the sense you get from the drivers? Are they on board with this many races in a calendar year? I think I think they're sometimes a bit careful about it, uh, what, what they say, because very much F1, you know, does tell them to like, you know, don't don't say bad things about the sprint race, you know, <laughs> don't uh, slag off new races coming onto the calendar. Uh, but I think there's also an eye on not so much the drivers because they do live a life of relative luxury, you know, going in private jets and stuff like that. But some of the mechanics who are having to go from race to race to race mm-hmm. and uh, are really spending a huge amount of time away from home, but also just spending a huge amount of time, um, you know, working on race cars. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a tough life out there for them. You know, a lot of time in places like Singapore, you don't always get air conditioned garages. There's, you know, um, 
a lot of hard work that really has to go into it way before the weekend starts, not just seeing the cars go out on Sunday. So um, I think, yeah, everyone has to look at itself and it's trying to cut costs on one end, but at the other end, it's trying to have more and more races. And the two, I'm not sure, are going to um, work together uh, long term and, and, and a perfect solution. So I, I think the drivers themselves, uh, they actually love racing. You know, they, they, they like the idea of going racing a lot. But I think um, some of the other people in the sport, uh, everyone has to kind of look and try and protect and, and make sure things don't get too difficult and too just uh, exhausting, really, uh, both mentally and physically for a lot of the people involved. Yeah, the drivers are the one kind of aspect of this I don't really feel too much sympathy for because, <laughs> you know, these are super fit young men. You know, they're all they, they can all cope with it. I mean, some of them do struggle with some of the jet lag at some of the events. Mm-hmm. But I think, like Lawrence said, like, I think the human cost on people working in it I had a lot of people, I saw a lot of people tweet when the calendar came out. It wouldn't be surprising, you know, to for, for team bosses to start hearing from people that currently work on their race team. Hey, like, hey, can I get a factory job next year? You know, so I'm based back at back at base because that, I think that's the, the biggest thing, you know, the strain it puts on people's kind of social lives, personal lives and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. if people have families as well. Um, I think I worked out that if you did every race next year, and you did the tests as well. If you if you factor in all the traveling and stuff like that, you'll be on the road to you know close to half the year. You know you obviously get August off and you get the off season. It's a massive amount of time to be you know to be sat on planes and all those things. So and there's a lot of people that do literally every single second of every single race. You know so um, yeah, you do see people kind of say, well, it's you know it's a dream job, but obviously it comes with for for, for a lot of the mechanics, it comes with you know huge sacrifices on that side. So I'm I'm interested to see the. Um, the longevity of it and and i think the complaints next year it'll be interesting to listen to how loud they are and if f1 entertains them you know if if, if f1 has those discussions with teams because i think the problem now is there's so much money being thrown at f1 from race events i don't think they're yeah. going to start scaling it back you know i think kind of the horse has bolted on this so you know the idea that suddenly turn around and be like right next year we'll do 22 races again and you know these two races will no longer pay us the money it's like well you know that's not really going to happen so i don't know it's a it's a tricky one and if and if max is winning the championship by singapore every year <laughs> then it, it's even worse and that becomes another discussion point of the longer the season the more dead rubbers you get if somebody dominates i think that's terrible for formula one you know the great thing with american sports is it finishes on the final day so the final match or the final play of the season usually you know comes down the the, the team that wins the final game wins the championship don't think that should be the case in formula one because you'd have to kind of make it artificial but as it, as a season goes, we saw it last season, didn't we? How entertaining that was! But I, I think there's going to be more, like rarer and rarer as we go along because to be close over 24 races versus being super close over 17 or 16, I think it's a lot more difficult. So we'll see how that affects it going forward. But um, yeah, agreed with Lawrence. It's way too many. I would just like to say, as an American who have watched leagues kind of dig their heels in and stay the same. And as fans, we have asked and asked and asked to see something different in terms of the process and changes made to the way the league does things. I do think it's worth applauding Stefano Domenicale and the fact that they are willing to make changes or try different things. I don't necessarily feel like this is a perfect solution here with 24 and six, but I do appreciate the fact that F1 listens and says, okay, we'll try to make this a little bit more entertaining or interesting. And if it doesn't work, we'll move on. Let's take a look really quickly at the driver market. I will offer this up to the two of you. We've got three teams that still have open seats, and we are not exactly sure who's going to take them. Alpine, Haas, and Williams. Lawrence, I'll start with you. You can pick any of the three teams. Uh, 
with an open seat and who you possibly think we will see sitting in it in 2023. Okay, well, I'm going to say Alpine and I want to see Gasly go there because as much as I like Gasly at AlphaTauri, you know, it's been great and uh, he spent a lot of time there. I think he needs a change in his career and he needs to go to a new team and Alpine makes a huge amount of sense. French team, French driver, and I think we would really see the best of Gasly and it opens up, as I was mentioning earlier, opportunities elsewhere for Nick DeVries perhaps to go to uh, to go to Williams. Nate, are you good with that? Do you approve if he yeah. is uh, the commissioner? Well, Lawrence stole my one. That was gonna, that was going to be mine because I'm a, I'm a big Gasly fan. Sorry, so no, no, that's okay. It just means I have to think on my feet. Yeah, um, you have to think on your feet. You've got Haas or Williams. What so say you? I'm going to, most people who listen to this pod will probably be like, Nate's going to say one of these teams and Daniel Ricciardo, but I'm not. I'm going to surprise people. Okay, I'm not a complete <laughs> fanboy when it comes to that. Um, I'm going to say Williams, and I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I like the idea of Logan Sargent getting that seat. And I'm not just saying that because we're on a podcast for ESPN with an American audience, but I think it's about time we had an American driver. You know, it, it increases the interest there. Um, but I actually, I, I, one of the days coming into Zandvoort, I was walking into the circuit and somebody patted me on the back and said, Nate, and it was, it was Sargent. I interviewed him in Austria. And I talked to him the whole way into the to the circuit. Really, really nice guy. And I kept asking him, I was like, so, you know, how are you feeling about next year? And he was like, well, you know, we'll see what happens. This was before De Vries had done his thing in, in Monza. So obviously things have changed a little bit there. But just a really nice guy. And um, I think it's always nice when people take a chance on a young driver. Maybe he needs another season in Formula One. But from what I understand, before De Vries's you know, kind of heroics in Monza, Sargent was really being lined up for that seat. So it's yeah. interesting now... For Sargent, obviously, it's a great thing if DeVries gets the Alpha Tauri seat because I think Sargent's really the only option there. Um, but yeah, I think he'd be great. You know, he's, he's, he's won a race in Formula 2. Um, I think he'd be in a situation where, even if it is too early for him to go into Formula 1, it'll be a bit like Mick Schumacher at Haas in that first season. Nothing's really expected of him. Just, you know, don't crash the car. Learn when you can. Mick Schumacher wasn't the best at doing that. But, you know, it's it's, it's a it's a good place to learn. So I'd I'd say that. I think it's a bit of a left-field one. And um and because I don't think Ricardo's gonna be on the grid next season. So I would say him. Um and because Haas seem to seem convinced that they want Nico Hulkenberg, which I just don't understand as a as a as a team move, you know, just really kind of uninspiring. I don't know if Lawrence thinks the same thing. Like, I don't know. It just of all the drivers they could have gone for. Hulkenberg's he's 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 good, like he'll be competitive, but you know, he's been out of Formula One for a while. The super sub thing kind of kind of you know wore off a little bit. So what do you think the line of thinking is there for Haas? going with Nico Lawrence as compared to sticking with Mick? Like, what's the pros and cons there between that decision? Well, I think they've seen um, how good Kevin Magnussen was, certainly at the start of the year when he came back. And Nico Hulkenberg, is, it's a similar kind of uh, driver you're getting. So I think they know that if they put Nico in there, he's going to drive that car hard and he's going to be fairly consistent to get in the points. Now, does Nico have a long future in Formula 1 ahead of him? You know, probably not. I imagine if he came in, he may do two or three years and, you know, perhaps it could leapfrog somewhere if, if something opened up. But, but the chances are uh, that would be it. So it's kind of uninspiring from the outside, but you can understand why Haas, uh, especially after that year when they had Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher in the car and they were both uh, not performing on a brilliant level. And then at the start of this year, Mick goes and, you know, destroys a couple of chassis early on. Um, you know, that's, that, that, that's not good. You know, that's, that's very expensive and it's costing the team, uh, points, which of course means more money down the line. So you, I can understand Hass's reasoning if they go for Nico Hulkenberg, but there's part of me which would like to see Mick Schumacher get, get another go. It's, you know, as the pressure started to build, he started to put in some better performances. 
But the unfortunate thing for Mick is that as he's got more comfortable with the car, the relative performance of the Haas has dropped off compared to the rest of the midfield. And so even if he's putting in a performance that's better than Kevin at the moment, uh, it's unlikely to score points. So I feel a little bit for Mick and, um, you know, especially with it looking more and more like Mick may not be a part of the Ferrari Academy going forward, um, which I can also kind of understand because if you look at his performances, they haven't been on a level as good as, you know, as good, good enough to replace the likes of Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. I get that. But um, yeah, I'd like to see uh, maybe Mick being given one more go, like everything or nothing on, on 2023. Uh, and I think as fans watching, that's perhaps a little bit more interesting than Nick Hulkenberg, just because, you know, Nico's had a fantastic career. He's been that kid coming in and being the one that everyone was really excited about. And then it just didn't quite work out over the time. So if he comes back, it's like, well, realistically, what are we looking at? We two, know the three years. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel like that's the case, which is, seems a bit harsh on Nico because he's a great driver. But um, he, I don't think he's really on that level where he'll go then to drive for the Mercedes, the Red Bulls, the Ferraris. And really, you know, we want young drivers coming through who, who have the talent to do that. But it's an interesting situation because, you know, it, so often it's usually the case that there's um, more drivers and seats and you know, it almost feels a little bit the other way around. But it's a strange one where you end up at the end of this year with Daniel Ricciardo not being on the grid when at the start of the year we felt pretty certain that he would have a contract with McLaren beyond this year. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an unusual situation in, in the driver market, but that might be an opportunity for the likes of Hockenberg. And it is wild, isn't it, that Ricardo's name is there, and yet we've just done a little segment on the driver market, and really we're like, well, it's probably not. Ricardo's probably not going to be a factor, um, which I think became quite obvious, you know, within the days after mm. his decision. You know, we thought immediately, like, well, Alpine seems like the, you know, the logical place for him. Don't think Alpine are that keen to kind of, you know, reopen that door. You know, he obviously left there in circumstances they weren't too happy with. So it is interesting. And I think, um, yeah, I I wouldn't have put money on Ricardo just slipping out of contention so quickly. But he's never really, when we've asked him, both Lawrence and I have been in press conferences with him. He's just never really seemed that keen to, you know, he you, you've never really bought the idea that he wants to stay in with any of the three options that are there. You know, stay a year out you know, kind of refine that fire, come back in 24. I think it's a risky decision because there's no guarantee he comes back. Sure. But, um, and like Lauren said, you know, th- there's not many options this year. I don't think there's going to be that many for 24 either when you look at how people are tied down at contracts. So, yeah, difficult at the moment. And it shows you why maybe we need a, an extra team or two so some of these guys can, you know, can get some chances to come in. Obviously, Formula One team team bosses disagree with me on that, but it would be nice if there were some more landing spots for these guys. Easy. Nate, we only have <laughs> yeah. so much time for the pod, okay? Yeah. We're going to have just, to start a new episode. Yeah, I just want to say as well, Lawrence explained way better why I said Hockenberg was uninspiring than I did. I still think he's a you know he's a really good driver and he'd do a good job there. Uh, I just, from the outside, it's just not that exciting. For what it's worth, from what I understand, Kevin Magnussen is lobbying for that to be the the move for that exact reason. He says, look, we get some stability between the two of us. Um, you know, we can be competitive, drive the team up the order. So that could end up kind of swaying that decision, I think, at Haas, because obviously, you know, Kevin's come in, done a great job. There's a great relationship with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they go with Hulkenberg, I think he can he can kind of thank Kevin. And anyone who's seen Netflix will appreciate the irony of that because those two guys haven't always been on, on the same page. Uh, no, they have not. So we will patiently await uh, the final dominoes to fall. Let's turn our attention to Singapore, shall we? All right, so Max Verstappen has um, a couple scenarios in front of him. I feel like we're getting to the playoffs and we have to go through all the scenarios and it's quite frustrating, so stick with me here. If Verstappen finishes first and gets the fastest lap, 
Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Leclerc finishes eighth or lower, and Sergio Perez finishes fourth or lower. He is a two-time world champion. Option B. If Max Verstappen finishes first, Leclerc finishes ninth or lower, and Perez finishes fourth but does not get the fastest lap, Verstappen is a two-time world champion. If he finishes second, we live to see another day. We go on to Japan. So we've got essentially three scenarios. Uh, How realistic do you think it is that we nab this thing right now? I think a Max Verstappen win is very likely. I think a Max Mm. Verstappen win and fast slap is very likely, but it's those those other aspects. So really you'd need Charles Leclerc to probably not finish the race. Uh, I can't see Ferrari uh, having a situation where, because we know those two cars are faster than everyone else and Mercedes is up there as well, but finishing lower than sixth, it seems unlikely. And then um, Perez finishing fourth or lower. Well, yeah, maybe, you know, we've seen a couple of times where Perez has been outside the podium positions, even when Max has been winning, but for all of that to happen together, doesn't seem that likely. And then it goes to Japan and it's almost a dead certain that, uh, that Max gets the championship then. So he will be champion. Like, you know, don't kid yourself in thinking <laughs> this championship is still alive. It's just a matter of when. And um, I would bet against it happening this weekend. But we've seen, you know, Leclerc have big issues this year at various races. And, you know, that that could actually swing it. Nate, do you agree? Yeah, yeah I think with this Ferrari team, anything's possible. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it could <laughs> I don't be... want to say it like that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, let's, uh, let's, let's just be honest about it. I mean, as much as I want Ferrari to win a championship, of all the years this scenario could come true, it's this one. So I'm not writing it out, uh, writing it off. It definitely could happen. So there's a couple of factors, actually a lot of factors, I feel like when it comes to the Singapore Grand Prix. First and foremost, it's a monsoon season in Singapore. So there is rain, possibly. 
in the forecast. Uh, heavy rainstorms expected on Friday and Saturday morning and afternoon, but cleared up by the evening. Sunday, there's heavy rain expected in the morning afternoon, but a chance that it goes through the evening. Uh, you have obviously been there, Lawrence, before. How does the rain impact this race? It really does in that it's very unusual for the rain to hit during the race. It did in 2017 and it had a huge impact because uh, Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen and Max Verstappen all crashed out on the run to the first corner and then also took out Fernando Alonso when they got down there. So it does um, shape things up. That was a real shame actually that year because as dramatic as that incident was and, you know, we've seen it replayed many times since. Uh, we were shaping up for a really great race if, if that hadn't happened. And what it actually did is open the door to Lewis Hamilton, who was quite unfancy to go and win that race that year and, uh, and, and for him to go and win quite easily. So, uh, it's rare that it rains here in the evening. I'm not sure why that is because there's certainly a lot of rain around in the area. We get quite a lot during the day, but yeah, for it actually to happen in the evening and hang around and the track to be wet during a race. It's very unusual, but it has happened before. So um, I, I always look at these forecasts in advance, uh, but with Singapore, it's one of those ones which you, you really can't read too much into it because it can change like minute to minute, you know, certainly hour to hour as to what's going to happen uh, up, up there in the sky. So, um, yeah, I, since I got here, I mean, I did sleep through a bit of uh, <laughs> the, or most of this morning. I was awake till quite late last night, but slept through most of the morning because of the weird time zone I'm on. Uh, and I haven't seen a drop of rain since I got it. So maybe it did. Maybe it's just saving all up for a big Sunday wet race under the lights because Don't it is spectacular. It. it is spectacular when you see these cars race under the lights with the spray of the of, of the water from the rain as well. So um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But um, I wouldn't bank on it and certainly not to get one of those crazy results that we need for a championship. I'm glad you mentioned it. Under the lights, Nate. Night race versus day race. Where do you stand? Night race, 100%, especially for a venue like this. Uh, really spectacular. And the interesting thing is you get to see the contrast because if you watch the first uh, practice session on Friday or the third practice session, which is Saturday, you get to see the venue in daylight. And then in the set, in the time between the next sessions is when you know the sun goes down and it becomes night. So you see what a difference it makes. And um, I've always really liked that. And I think there's something quite spectacular about just the just the way the cars look under the lights and it just feels different you know again it's 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 you know scarcity comes into it we only have a few night races so i think that the novelty of them is still there you know if every race was a night race i don't think we'd see them in the same way um but again you know um you know sometimes they have helmets that look at you know they look look a bit different the cars sometimes will be painted a bit differently so they'll look really spectacular so and you get all those sparks as well at night night races which just oh, show, yeah. up, show up way more um so just visually watching it, it's always pretty spectacular pretty breathtaking um so yeah night races i mean i don't think it would work at like if you did it at silverstone i think it would just be a freezing cold night race <laughs> but like so you have to pick the venue but yeah night race at singapore is just spectacular really quickly did you see the new livery for mclaren i think it's future mode or something like that what what did yeah. you think of uh the new look well i like what i like the idea i always like you know, new liveries, but I feel like it was a bit underwhelming. They've got a few like flashes of like pink neon on the sides. And I've bored Lawrence to death with this when we've been traveling to races, but I'm a big advocate of F1 having like a color rush style game, uh, style race, uh, you know, where everybody kind of inverts their liveries, you know, it goes a bit neon colored, a bit cyberpunk themed. I like Ferrari and Monza was a great example of, of how sometimes teams nearly get it right. And they don't, if you looked at the Ferrari head on, at Monza, it looked incredible with that, you know, the, the black rear wing and the, the yellow writing on it. But then as soon as it turned, you saw that awful, like extra yellow bit that added. And you're like, why have you, why have you put that bit on the car? That looks awful. 
And I feel the same with the McLaren. If you look at it head on, it looks pretty good. Then side on, there's where where all the black stuff is. There should be a bit more pink there, I think. But hey, I think when it's under the lights, it might look absolutely spectacular. So I'll reserve complete judgment for that. But um, but yeah, it's a shame more teams don't take advantage of the night races because you think about some of the colors of the teams on the grid. You know, if you added, you know, you just added a bit more color to those to those cars, it would look even better. I mean, maybe it would be an assault on the eyes. I don't know. Maybe it would stop being enjoyable <laughs> and actually start being a little bit uncomfortable to watch. But um, but yeah, uh, it's it's okay. It's um, it's not as good as their last one-off livery McLaren did, which was obviously the the great one at Monaco last year, which was absolutely spectacular. Um, so they set a high bar last year. So maybe I'm judging them against their own success last season. So that's probably not, not the fairest way to do it. We're happy to be consulted here on Unlapped. Uh, it'll be <laughs> a pretty penny, but happy to help and give you our opinions before you roll out new liveries. Uh, any team members listening here today? I might have just I might have just ended any chance of teams doing that. But probably. <laughs> my bad. Yes, maybe maybe did. maybe ask Katie and Lawrence and I'll, I'll just drop out <laughs> respectfully. No doubt. Uh, I will happily oblige. Uh, I know tire management is essential in all races, but it feels like it's ultra important, Lawrence, as it pertains to Singapore. Why? Yeah, it can be. Um, it's it, it's an unusual race. So it's a lot of slow corners uh, around the track, and it's a really long lap in terms of lap time and actually quite a long lap in terms of distance as well. Um, so it, it, it's just an unusual one. It's It's one where they have to manage it keep on top of it i'm not sure it's that big a difference compared to compared to other races but um yeah it's it's another factor and um also just the conditions you know you're dealing with uh, a track surface which is much bumpier than other places uh, around the world it also has um some really unique characteristics there was one year where apparently a metro going under part of the track uh caused an issue on mark webber's red bull and um you know cause it to i can't remember exactly what happened to it but uh, there was a problem on the car as a result and so you have all these weird little quirks of strange things and mainly just due to the fact that for the rest of the year this is a city we're talking about you know it's not even kind of it's a, partly a hybrid racetrack and there's a little bit of the pit lane which still exists during the rest of the year but yeah it, they really are city streets and that brings a huge amount of challenges mainly bumps and uh and then also yeah managing the tires in 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 a slightly different way and basically just making sure the rears don't overheat too much but um it's it's an interesting one it always throws up slightly strange results for years when mercedes mm-hmm. was dominating the sport the one track that they couldn't get right the one track which they really struggled to understand their car at was this one and it took them years and years and years to get their heads around it and we're talking there about you know the, the dominant team in formula one so um it's it's an unusual one for a number of factors but yeah keep an eye on the tires and uh and which way it goes of course if it's wet time management kind of goes out the window slightly and it's uh, it's a different race entirely all right to that point which driver which team do you feel like this track suits um, at the start of the year, I would have said this is a Ferrari track. We've seen a, a number of places, the slower corners, uh, fewer straights tends to uh, favor Ferrari. But it seems like we come back since the summer break. The Red Bull have just made a breakthrough on everything on their car. We know that they've been making it lighter gradually throughout the year. And I think that just helps in every way. You want a racing car to be as light as possible. It helps with the tire management. It obviously helps with things like accelerating, braking, cornering. And so... Um, as they've made progress with their car, they seem to have really um, sorted out a lot of the weaknesses they had 
uh, one of which was also looking after tyres. So um, I would have said at the start of the year, uh, you know, with the cars that uh, left testing, this would be absolutely a Ferrari track. Now I think it's going to be much, much closer. And I think maybe even given what we've seen at the last few races and Max just winning again and again and again, it could actually be a track that favours the Red Bull, certainly in Max's hands. Let's just, let's just start calling the Max Verstappen track. So I think that's just the easiest way going forward. <laughs> Regardless of uh, the rain and if we see it or not throughout the weekend, it's ungodly humid. Is it not over there? Yeah, it is. Um, it doesn't feel quite as bad as it has in in, in previous years. But um, all I have to do is is walk from my hotel to the local metro MRT station to get on an air conditioned subway to the track now the drivers have to sit in a cockpit and so you've got a 30 degree ambient temperature you've then got um you know 80 90 humidity and it is a horrible horrible place for them to be to the point that they really tailor their training going into this race because they just have to they train in saunas to try and get their um their bodies used to these conditions and it's um it's a real, real challenge in that respect. And then when things go wrong within the cockpit, so remember there was a story about Kevin Magnuson. I think it was when he was a McLaren. I might be wrong, but he had a, there was a leak in the radiator and it was essentially burning his, his back as he was driving around the track. And uh, to the point that he would think he was running around temp. So he scored a point, but he was worrying that he was going to black out. And, you know, he was talking about this a few years ago uh, to us, how, you know, it was only for one point, but he wanted to continue with the race. And he said, well, if you black out, you black out, you know, that's part of it. But, the, you know, the pain and it was so uncomfortable for him in, in that car. So you have these um, these extreme conditions, which are just that little step up on, on everything we get elsewhere. And you've got to remember that these cars are always running on the limit and it's driver comfort is always the last consideration uh, within the car. So when you push it that extra a little bit towards the limit perhaps over the limit that's when you get some uh, pretty uncomfortable situations for the drivers favorite time prediction time it's where i put the boys on the spot hi it's mike greenberg letting you know espn bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring the official sports book of espn has exclusive offers and markets from scott van pelt Stephen a smith and me plus many more from the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. All right, with all the factors that we just discussed heading into the Singapore Grand Prix, give me your top three. Nate, I'll start with you. Oh, you're starting with me. Usually I'm I writing use, it down. Usually I use Lawrence's to kind of prep mine. Um, nope, not this time. No, nothing sexy or surprising about my first pick. It's going to be Max. Uh, second, I'm going to say Charlotte Leclerc. So I think the championship will go on to Japan. But 
I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna just you know I'm gonna change things up a bit for third place. So I saw there's a picture going around of McLaren have bought a very Red Bull looking side pod to this race. So the the, the air inlet mm-hmm. you know, bought, which looks quite a big upgrade for this time of year. And I feel like we haven't really had the the the, the one or the you know the McLaren always have kind of one or two really big results in the year. Lando got the podium. I think Imola was the last time they had one. Lawrence mentioned sometimes you get a bit of a mix up. And the great thing about Singapore, if you're in a team like that, is that sometimes overtaking can be quite difficult, and that can be good if you get track position. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw it out there and just say Lando, because you know I think um, this is the sort of track where you know I, I mean it's not the same as Sochi last year, but you remember how well he did there. I feel like he's due a big performance. I'm just basing that purely on a picture I saw earlier and the fact that I feel like Lando deserves a podium at this point. Um, so. I've probably ruined what was a really good prediction at that point, but that's kind of what this game's about. So if I get 66% there, then I'll we'll take, take it. it. We'll take it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if, from it, here. if I get 66% and it's because Max didn't win and the other two guys are on the podium, I'll also take that as well because then it means we have a bit of a fun race and something a bit different. Yeah, and uh, the championship is delayed a little bit longer. Lawrence, top three. Do you feel mm, like Nate nailed it? Um, I'm not sure about Nate's final point. I think the earlier, the first and second is actually what's going to happen. But I'm going to mix it up anyway and say Charles Leclerc to win the race. Uh, so Ooh, Ferrari nice. finally get back up there. Um, uh, Max Verstappen second, hoping that it's going to be a good battle between the two. And George Russell third. It's a bit of an unknown whether the Mercedes is going to be any good round here because in theory, the track layout suits the car. Slow speed corners, not too many straights. But they had all those issues with the bumps in Baku. If you remember, Lewis Hamilton struggling to get out the car at the end of it, holding onto his back. Um, I'm going to back them to have sort, sorted out those ride issues that they had in Baku and to make progress over the weekend. So I'm going to put George Russell on the podium as well. So the clerk, Stappen, Russell. Uh, having said that, the first bit is probably going to be the other way around. But I'm sticking with it. The clerk, Stappen, right. Russell. Tell us what you think of uh, their top three in the comments below. Let us know who you think is going to finish on the podium in Singapore and we'll rehash obviously on the other side next week. Lawrence, you need to get to bed or I don't know if you're trying to stay up and endure, but thank you so much for joining us at 4 a.m. Singapore time. We appreciate it very much. Nate, it's great to see you. Thank you guys both uh, for talking some F1. It feels good, right? Doesn't it feel good after some time off to finally be back? We appreciate you. Uh, This is another episode of Unlap. Be sure to like, subscribe uh, to ESPN for more F1 content on YouTube and give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. Cheers. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.